Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very, very exciting guest. We're going to be talking about the good stuff that we like to talk about, building, scaling, financing, you know, all the above. And very interesting, you know, like what he is doing, you know, in this rocket ship that he has embarked in. And, uh, you know, especially we're going to be talking a lot about autonomous, autonomous stuff. So hang there. You're going to find this very inspiring. And without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Bibrajit. Let's see if I say it right. Halder, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. I'm really excited talking to you. And thanks for having me today. So let's do a little of a walk through memory lane, Bibrajit. How was life growing up in India, in Calcutta? Yeah, so I was born in Calcutta. I loved it. It was very, you know, it's a beautiful, beautiful city. Lots of good food, lots of, and I, my, I had a large family. So it was fun growing up. I think I was playing a lot, studying a very little so it was a very good childhood. And what's going on in India with that social pressure towards becoming a doctor or becoming an engineer? What's going on? Yeah, I was the fourth kid. So we had the five kid. I was number four. So one of the advantage I had that because I was number four, parents didn't have time to take care. You know, like you go to school, you stay there. That's all they expected out of me. They said, whatever you do, we don't care. We got too many to take care. So I was that was that works for me. So, so in your case, actually, you did mechanical engineering, but uh, then you knew you wanted to come to the U.S. I mean, why? Why? Why to the U.S.? I know. I, I came to Ohio University, Ohio, in Ohio University, and one of the questions I remember the second day, somebody asked me that, how did you find us? You know, you're in Calcutta. They realized what Calcutta is, how far. You know, India and, and just my, my experience, don't generalize it. But when if you're a guy and growing up in India and you are in the middle school, you pretty much know you're going to go to U.S. for study. I don't know why. So it was not a big decision for us. So I pretty much, by the time I was seventh or eighth grade, I already pretty much knew that I was going to go to U.S. for grad school. So no, I think that we had, a, I had an opportunity. So I really was appreciative of that. I finished my undergrad in India in mechanical engineering, as you said, and then came here for uh, graduate school early 2000. Now, for you, you know, like you did everything. You did masters, you know, you were not, uh, you didn't have enough with one. So you decided to do two masters, you know, and on top of that, a PhD. So, wow. Now, you know, after you do all these studies, basically what you decided to do was to really write the whole autonomous, you know, uh, stuff, you know, and you did it, you know, first with Caterpillar, then with Ford. I mean, what caught you the your attention from from this autonomous wave now that day was forming? Yeah, and I was, one thing I would say about this whole journey of my career, I was always super lucky. So I was always very excited about robotics back in when I was doing my undergrad. So when I came here, I was working on the robotics. So really, this is where the self-driving and autonomous started with the DARPA Grand Challenge in US. And as part of my grad school, I literally got sucked into that. And I could not be more happy for that. So my PhD was actually an autonomous vehicle. So you know, I, my PhD work was an autonomous vehicle. So when I graduated, Caterpillar just started their autonomous mining project. And I, I joined literally a week before they kickstarted their big project. And I was able to take my PhD work. And that was my first patent in Caterpillar. 
So you don't get lucky like that. So yeah, I mean, I and I have ever since doing autonomy, and I cannot be more lucky and happy that I got I get to do the, such a cool stuff. Now, there's probably a lot of people that are not so technical and that are not so familiar with the uh, the world of autonomy. So give us a little bit of, you know, the history behind the autonomy, you know, uh, in general and why it's so important. Absolutely. Just maybe, you know, step back. What is autonomy? So autonomy is basically what we talked about any vehicle. It's not just a passenger vehicle. Think about passenger vehicle, big truck, other thing, the thing that we, you know, ship it into moon even. You want to make this machine completely navigate, drive, do their job without any human intervention. So this is where the world is moving, that machine will get the job done. And when I was in a grad school, one of our focus is to make the, the robot that we are shipping to the moon, make them autonomous because you cannot possibly send human there, right? You have to have this vehicle running autonomously. And the way you want to think about the technology is that give them a eye that it can see things, give them a brain so it can make the decision and give them a, you know, you know, control so that it can move around. So autonomy got started actually back in 90s. Obviously, defense industry was doing it. Early 2000, the defense industry said, can we give it to the you know, everybody else? This is where the DARPA grand challenge happened. Amazing success. They put about two, two challenges, $1 million, you know, kind of prize money. But that two couple of million dollars of investment sparked the whole industry into this path. So I think this is some of the things defense does that people don't realize how amazing they are to kickstart a trend-setting technology. So they really started this whole thing. And when they did the DARPA Grand Challenge, you name all the big universities, right? Carnegie Mellon University, CMU, Stanford, Berkeley, you know, Caterpillar, Oshkosh, all the GM, Ford, all the company was part of those competition. And everybody, one thing got proved out of that competition that, yes, we can do it. Not as a one company, not as a one thing, but as a humanity, we can do this. And heavy industry picked it up before anybody else. I think Caterpillar and Komatsu's of the world, they realize that big mining truck, think about a mine is a constrained environment running 24-7 and really doing very repetitive job, but also in a very safe, you know, safety concern is very high. So making those autonomous was no-brainer. So Caterpillar Komatsu started about 2006, 2007. And by the time we were doing it, I was at Caterpillar, Google came into the scene, 2011. They said, we want to do passenger vehicle autonomy. And that just started the firestorm, as you know, today. Then Ford and GM and Volkswagen, everybody started doing. And, and I think what happened in 2016, GM bought Cruise for a billion dollars. And Cruise is another startup company. That time it was very small. That really sparked the interest of the investment community. They didn't see that GM is going to buy a software company for a billion dollars. And also without that much in revenue, I believe, uh, Cruise didn't have that much in revenue going on. No, Cruise had zero revenue. Yeah. Not, so there was really just an idea, few people doing things, and that got bought for a billion dollars. Wow. And that just kick-started the whole industry from the funding side of it. And just to kind of wrap it on that, just a dollar value-wise, that probably about 80 to 100 billion dollars got invested into autonomy or self-driving ecosystem starting from about 2015 2016 so over the you know last seven eight years 
80 to 100 billion dollar got invested i think that's a huge huge number for moving a technology forward uh so i think you know after that is a little bit of all over the news right every oem you know every startup was doing self driving cars and now here we are today you you see that it's still going on a lot of effort is getting obviously we are focusing on the heavy industry because we know what we know but that's kind of the long history of self-driving, if you will. So I guess, you know, so that we can just dive right into it with what you're doing with your business. But before that, you know, I'd like to get the one lesson learned that you got from the three companies that you worked at before starting your own business. First one, lesson learned at Caterpillar. That's very easy. The biggest lesson learned is that, you know, as complex as the technology of autonomy is, deploying into operation is a different beast. So I was there for six years, almost seven years. First three years we are developing, last three years we are deploying. The amount of thing I learned in the last three years is like pale compared to the first three years. I think developing the technology, what the way we say is a 10% effort, actually deploying and running on a day-to-day is 90%. So I think that is the number one thing I learned in Caterpillar, and I'm so grateful about that. That experience really shaped my kind of learning so much. I think now if you look at Ford and Apple, I think there what I learned, the number one thing is that how fast the technology has been moving. Every aspect of it, the LiDAR got super super mature, the compute platform, you have the GPU, the new way of doing AI, the DNAs of the world. So both at at Ford and Apple, I learned that. I think specifically for Apple, one thing that blows my mind is the scale and the scope they work with. The amount of people they have, the talent they have, the infrastructure they can throw into that. You gotta see otherwise to believe it. Like I, I obviously was in a big company, both Caterpillar and Ford is big company. But when we see it in Apple, the amount of infrastructure and resource they can utilize, it just mind-blowing. So I think I, I learned a ton from every aspect of our of those three companies. No, I mean, it's it's kind of like uh, interesting how you go from Caterpillar and from Ford where you're like working more like with cars where with something like Apple is more like devices, no? I mean, that's quite a change when it comes to autonomous stuff. I mean, Apple was, I mean, Apple is doing autonomous car, right? So I was still working on autonomous car, but it's a, you are right, it's a different setting because they are software company compared to so I get to learn the, the what a somebody like Apple, what a software look like. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because not everyone knows that Apple is actually, you know, experimenting with, with cars. So, I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. I mean, are we going to see eventually, you think, a, a car that is uh, done by Apple or no? The way I say, I do not know. That will be the honest answer. But the way I say that autonomy, they are definitely working on. And if they are doing autonomy, if they decided to do the car, they will do the car. But I don't know exactly what they will decide because the, the biggest motivation here is to make the vehicle autonomous. And if they decide then I need to make my own vehicle to do a great user experience, then they will do it. It's about the user experience. Got it. Well, you never know. Maybe Apple end up, ends up buying Tesla. Eh? God knows. But in your case, eh, basically what happened is that Apple was literally the most immediate step to you launching your own business, Safe AI. So give us a little of a walk here through the sequence of events that needed to happen for you to say, you know what, it's my time to shine. It's my time to go at it on my own. 
it's it's an industry level decision it was not really because i am not a you know i've been in the big company all my kind of career right it was really i saw the the massive improvement happened in the overall self-driving ecosystem right as i mentioned compute platform sensor the ecosystem the talent the technology and i realized that we have done autonomy in the heavy industry back in the days almost 10 years ago we put it into production but we went into production with 1.0 and i'll explain what i mean by that and this apple google's way of doing autonomy can greatly benefit the industry i come from which is the mining the construction the heavy side of it and nobody is doing it everybody got sucked into the passenger side as like somebody got to do it then i look around then i was like that somebody might be me because i have the both experience i have the heavy industry background i have the autonomy background i have seen how 2.2 is done so that's really the trigger point is that we know that heavy industry will significantly benefit their safety their productivity their overall efficiency will go through the roof if they somebody can bring the technology to them and I, I was in a best position to do that. And that's really the trigger point that can I be the bridge? Can I be the bridge where I bring that this newer technology back into the industry where I come from, where I learned my, you know, learned for the last seven years. So then how were the early days like with Safe AI? Because I mean, I'm sure that for you, it was all also quite a humbling transition where you're used to these massive companies. And then all of a sudden you see yourself maybe like, distributing flyers at the, uh, you know, engineering events to, to hire people. I mean, I'm sure that uh, it was quite humbling. It is humbling event today, if you can believe it. And I, I still, I remember the first presentation I had pitched it to my investor for the pre-seed round. So we raised about a million plus on the first check on the pre-seed round. I would never show that presentation to ever again. It is so ugly, so done so bad right so yeah it's, i think it is still humbling what we are doing and i'm i'm learning on an everyday basis but also super lucky i mean we'll talk about that like the support i got whether it is from the investor community with the partners just friends and in an ecosystem that help help me through that and obviously an amazing team we we are about 100 people today we we just have amazing team that we build up over the time but yes it's a it's a learning everyday still Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So 
With that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. And for the people that you know are listening to be able to get it, what ended up being the business model of Safe AI? How do you guys make money? Pretty simple. So think about this mining vehicle, this construction vehicle, any equipment you can think about. They run almost anywhere from 12 hours a day to 24 hours a day. And currently they are using human to drive those vehicles. And what we are doing, you're taking human out of the harm's way. And we are driving the vehicle with the software and we're letting human do the organization, orchestrating and planning side of it, right? So that which they can do it from the in the office area, if you will. So our business model that we charge a yearly licensing fee for running the vehicle. So they are already, they have an operating cost to run those vehicles. We charge a software licensing fee. So, so we are pure software company. Yes, we integrate hardware, but we are a software company where we charge as a software licensing fee year over year per vehicle. So then I guess, you know, also you guys have raised quite a bit of money for this. How much money have you guys raised today? So total accumulated, we raised $68 million till today. We closed our B round last quarter. And, and obviously that money helped us uh, keep delivering and providing to our customer what we have, have committed already. And how was that journey of going through all the different rounds? I'm sure that was also quite uh, new to you. Absolutely. I mean, my background is engineering, right? I, I never did it before. But so we did a pre-seed, we did a seed, then we did an A, and then we just closed the B. Uh, only thing I can say that I've been learning, right? Every aspect of it, I'm learning how to do it. And we have an amazing, not just a supportive investor community, but also very visionary and understanding the market. I think that is very important because when you are early stage, they don't have anything to really see why they should invest. Because there is no revenue, there is no product. So they get to see, they actually had the same vision that I have and they're able to relate to that. So I think that is a very, very amazing. So over the time, it was a lot of learning, but at the same time, huge amount of support from the investor and the you know, VC community. So, so in this case, I mean, pretty interesting going from the engineering side to now the business side. You know, how have you been able to blend both? Because not a lot of technical people are able to really, you know, cross that uh, bridge. Yeah, that's a very good question. And I think I will I will kind of go back to my Caterpillar days and, and kind of credit to that. I have seen how, maybe as an engineer, but I have seen how, you know, OEM, Caterpillar, for my example, has transitioned from a technology to actually giving value to the customer. So my North Star was always, what value does my end customer, which is a mining company, construction company, think about vectors of the world in US, what are they getting? And, and if you think about just a simple example, you'll realize that a typical construction company, let's say they're doing a project for five year, $100 million operating cost, building a bridge, building a dam, building a road. This technology can make that time, instead of spending 100 million, they can get it done in $75 million. And instead of five years, they can get it done in four years at the same time. 25% cost reduction, 20% time reduction fundamentally change the way we do construction or building the things, if you will. So I think that was my North Star. When I go talk to the end customer, I said, this is your benefit. This will change your industry. And that is really the, you know, my learning from the business side that what is the value to our end customer. And as a startup, I cannot go or we cannot pro provide a, 5%, 10% incremental value. 
you cannot sustain that. It, you have to give them a step change. You have to show them the new future. I think that was kind of my way of learning the business. What is the real value to the end user? And obviously, you know, like the um, the transition to and, you know, what we were talking about, I mean, you've raised over $60 million and you were coming from corporate America. So it was not like the venture world, not like you already knew, you know, uh, friends from other startups or you were working at another VC firm or anything like that. You know, literally you just do dove into it. So how was it like to also learn and get up to speed, not just on the business side of things, but more, you know, specifically on the financing side of things under that umbrella of business where now, you know, you need to get to know the people, you need to know all the technical jargon, you know, on the financing side and understand how different things are going to impact you as you continue to go and you take on that money. How was that? How did you tap into that, you know, pool of investors and into that community? Because it's very difficult to access. Now, that's a very good question. And I get this question from some of my other friends across the globe. I would say, you know, that's one of the things super lucky that I am in Silicon Valley. I think I cannot say it any other way. There is, you know, this place is just magic. The amount of people that are willing to help you, support you, you know, they understand the vision, they understand the, you know, work you are trying to do. I think I probably couldn't have done this outside Silicon Valley. I think the support I got is just incredible, whether people making introduction, people giving me guidance, people are telling me what I'm doing wrong, which I do, you know, you know, every day I do something wrong, right? So I think that's that ecosystem, the support and the people willingness to kind of listen to you and relate to your vision. I think I would say I got lucky. Uh, it is when you say, how did you get you know, up to the speed? I don't, I don't think I got up to the speed yet. I, I'm still learning and I'm still going and running every day, making sure I don't fall. Uh, but yeah, I think I really relate to that uh, support and the overall ecosystem that Silicon Valley provide. Uh, we have invested across the globe now. We have invested from in Europe, UK, you know, even Asia, quite a bit of investor. But really the support we got from here, that got me going. And I, I'm learning the lingos I learn as we go. And that's another good part of this job is that you really have to have your learning almost on a daily basis because there is always going to be, you know, five new things throwing at you literally on a daily basis. So in your case, I mean, you've been able to raise money from 16, you know, notable investors. Uh, and uh, when it comes to the support that you're alluding to, how do you go about using in the most effective way your investors so that they can be really helpful, you know, as you continue to build a business, whether that is on giving you access to talent, giving you access to more money, giving you access to M&A on buy side or sell side or even distribution, you know, in the form of business development deals and partnerships, how do you go about using their help? Yeah. And we have a extremely diverse group of, but very talented investors in our kind of portfolio, right? We have pure financial investor who are you know, laid our round, some of our round. We have our strategic investor who are partner. We also have some of our customer as our investor. So I think we got three group of people as our direct customer, our potential customers, our partner and strategic, you know, strategic partners, and obviously the financial people. I think each group brings very unique thing to the party, but one thing very common among all of them, they are ready to help you any way they can, wherever you need. I did not have an experience. I probably have a texting relation with pretty much all my investment, you know, key member, and they were 
anytime i i remember i have texted some of them at 12 12 in the night and i got responded at 12 30 something i asked right so that kind of they're always ready to help whatever you ask i think from the customer side the biggest you know biggest support they provide they really give you the north star of the you know market what they really need they were very open and they share with you you know and that is the that is a goal when you are doing a business hearing from customer what they need that is the goal because that's where you you lose your one of the thing we are doing amazing at safe yeah, beside the team what i think i'm very proud about is that product market fit what we are doing something that customer wants it is not something that we are just smart and we're doing because we love it and we are looking for somebody to use it we really this is customer saying we want it we want it today can you make it faster can you make it better i think it, it doesn't get any better than that I think the partner brings a huge support, whether introduction to the customer, just being working with us, giving us the credibility, because all of our customers are multi-billion dollar behemoth. So they are like the big name in their country, if you will, as I say, Bechtels of the world. So they bring the credibility. And I think the financial investors are like literally everywhere they can help. Hiring people, introduction to other investors, you know, they really roll up their sleep and help you anyway to grow the company. Now, for the people that are listening to get an understanding on the scope and size of Save AI today, I mean, what can you share around number of employees or anything else that you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, we are we are about 100 people. We are about 98 today. Uh, we are based in Silicon Valley. Our office is in Santa Clara, but we have a, also an office in part Australia. We are deploying in Australia. We have an office in Tokyo. We are deploying in Japan. We also have an office in India where we, we want to expand. So we are pretty globally expanded, if you will. About 100 people, we are looking to grow the team. We doubled the team last year of about 40 to 100 almost. And size-wise, as I said, we raised about $68 million. But more importantly, we have a very dedicated customer commitment. We are deploying into multiple areas in US, Australia, and Japan. We have a customer who has given us a you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of commitment so that, uh, that we are we are delivering as we speak. So imagine you were to go to sleep tonight, Bibrajit, and you wake up in a world where the vision of safe AI is fully realized. What does that world look like? That's an amazing question. So I think what that looks like is that over 70 to 80% of the equipment that is building your world. So think about this way that we use these machines and all the things to build our world, our infrastructure, right? We do mining, we do build ports, we do our airport. 70 to 80% all is just getting done by machine. And as a humanity, we are just planning and organizing the whole thing. And we are building faster and we are building with a lot more energy sustainable way, but doing it with a lot less resource. I think that is a, that is the future we are going towards. And as we work together, that future will come faster. And if we don't work together, it will take longer. But that future will come. Now, we're talking about the future here. So let's talk about the past. But let's talk about the past with a, with a lens of reflection. Let's say I was to give you the opportunity of getting into a time machine and being able to go back in time and being able to have a chat with your younger self, with that younger Bibrajit, maybe that younger Bibrajit that is thinking about doing something, maybe a company of your own. And imagine you were able to sit down 
and give that younger Bibrajit one piece of advice before launching a business? What would that be and why, given what you know now? Very good question. One thing, let me answer to that question, but I mean, I think the career I went through, I probably won't change anything. I learned so much. But one thing probably I would give advice to myself is that, you know, you want to jump and you want to start something even when you think you are not ready at all. Like it is okay to be not ready, not knowing and just do it. Because I think if you take your time to be ready, you will still be not ready. So you just, you know, run that time, right? So I think if I do advise anything, I will say whether to be younger myself or somebody else that if you feel like you are not ready, you are absolutely not the time you want to take a couple of more years to learn, just do. I think you will learn like 100 times more by doing when you are not prepared. I love that. Now, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. So LinkedIn, you can find me with my name. One thing is very thing that because my name is not just unique, I'm literally the only one in the world. So if you type my name in Google, like B-I-B-H-R-A, it will show up the whole thing. But joke aside, you can find me on that name on a LinkedIn, on a Twitter. I'm very active on both of them. And I'll, I'll definitely I'll, I'll reach out and respond. Amazing. Well, Bibrajit, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you today with us. Now, this is great. And I love the way you set up the questions. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.